There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. Give it to Gurley. Gurley extending to the goal line. Touchdown. Todd Gurley. That puts him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new episode of Turf Show Times Radio. Uh, I am pleased to be joined once again, uh, as always, every week, by my co-host, the man who watches more tape than I could ever... I'm reading comics, he's watching tape, dude. I couldn't do this show without him. Mr. Myson, a DSR man. Myson, how you doing, man? Oh, man. Lovely day, lovely day. I cannot complain. Happy to be here as usual. Yeah, yeah, and it's a good day to have you here because we're going to be talking to Matt Harmon, and hopefully uh, this won't be another lost podcast because we had a lot of fun talking <laughs> with, with Ben, but I think we can equal the fun with uh, with Matt later today, and he'll be joining us in about 20-ish minutes, so we're just going to kill some time right now sort of looking over I want to get your opinions, man. And I don't know if we talked about this on the last class, but looking at the seven, we'd be looking at the seven that the Rams brought in. How, what grade would you give this free agency class? Oh man, that's a good question. You know, I, I, I'm, um, I'm more on, I'm more on the, um, conservative side, I guess you could say. Bit of a, a little more strict with the grading, especially when it comes to free agency, because I guess you can kind of uh, be more optimistic when you're grading draft classes because they haven't played yet. So, you know, you can look to the future and you can look at potential and things like that. But when you look at free agency, I, I tend to be more strict because you know what you're getting. You know, you, you you've seen the guy play on this level. You have a really good idea of what he's capable of. Now, do you have guys that come in and just blow out? their past and just make everyone be like oh wow how, how do we miss him you know in free agency why was he only signed for two years and three million dollars and he turned out to be amazing and then you have guys that get these huge contracts and don't do nothing you know so uh, yeah you're gonna have those hits you're gonna have those misses but for the most part you usually have a pretty good idea of what the 
player brings. For me, I look at the Rams free agency so far, and I, I have to give it a, a C plus. Um, I think that they uh, okay. they could have it could be you damn you damn you damn weren't kidding damn well weren't kidding when you said you're stingy with the grading. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking I, you were gonna come up with a B minus or something. I didn't. I, I, didn't I see was. A C plus. I gave them a B minus early on, but um, as they've continued on, I've really been like, eh. you know. One thing I look at, I uh, I look at the contracts as well as the player that's being signed. I'm just okay, like, that's, this is this is fair. This is fair. I think that's a fair thing to call into question. When normally when one asks this question, we're typically talking about, okay, what do you think of the player? But exactly. a holistic a holistic analysis of how to grade free agency would and should include the economics of the situation. So break yeah, it down. What to. contracts do you like or not like? Uh, you know, I love I love the Andrew Whitworth signing. You know, uh, for me, that was that one was player that I. Yeah, that was the easy. That was an easy A for me. For me, that was one. That was one player uh, that I, that I said is a must go after. You know. Early on in the offseason, you know, late January before the Super Bowl, I listed them as 1A and 1B. I said two players I think the Rams have to go after is Andrew uh, Zietler and uh, 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 Andrew Whitworth. And uh, Kevin Zietler and Andrew Whitworth. And I said, um, you know, those two guys, I thought that they were the top uh, top free agents to come out um, regardless of position. And I look at Andrew. Whitworth, you go out and you get him, and, it's, and then you you don't kick out sixteen million dollars a year. You know he's he's a little long in the tooth, yes, but he is still an all pro. But he's healthy. He's, he's healthy. I was gonna say he's healthy thing. and he's an all pro. He takes extremely good care of himself. You know, I think that that is a that's a, that's a, that's a, that's an A right out of the gate. <laughs> you know, and then the the money wasn't too crazy or anything like that. It was solid left tackle money, solid franchise. Left tackle money, but not top tier franchise te- left tackle money, which means you got away with one. Considering that the last three years he's graded in the top five for left tackle, so the, I thought yeah, the, I, I thought that signing. I was going to say PFF had him at number three, I think, in their available yeah. or actually graded overall this past year, which represents just a. I, I mean, you talk about night and day going from Robinson to him. It's oh yeah. It's I not think if close. They, I, I want to ask a question to you because I feel like you're going to get here, but I'm kind of anxious, so I'm going to ask it anyway. How much higher would this class have been had they been able to pry Groy away from Buffalo? Much higher. Two things could have two things could have changed this grade. Um, one, getting Groy, uh, especially for what they offered and what he signed to, uh, I thought was a major steal. Major, major steal, and that would have been an A. And then the Robert Woods, uh, the signing itself, the player, doesn't hurt them so much as the contract. I thought the contract yeah, was a little, eight, eight million uh, a year seems a bit. It was a, it was a bit of it was a bit desperate in my opinion. Um, and because of that, that 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 dropped what could have been a B plus grade down to about a C plus C for me. Um, just the Robert Woods, the Robert Woods deal just could have been a lot better, in my opinion. Um, I don't really fully understand the Aaron Murray signing. <laughs> I feel that there, that money could have been spent better, or you, you know, if you want a third quarterback, you could draft one that you could develop yourself. Uh, don't really understand that one at all. Um, he, he's a he's a camp body, you know. He's not a number three quarterback. Um, so the, the Aaron the Aaron Murray signing that got that got a D for me. 
Um, Kayvon Webster, it's a C minus. I don't think he's anything more than just a um, just a, uh, a special teams player. Uh, I like the Connor Barwin uh, signing. Connor Barwin signing was uh, pretty good. Um, however, you know, I question if his uh, play fell off due to scheme change. You know, um, switching it from a four from a three four to a four three. I question if that's what caused it, or if he is uh, just play starting to decline with age. You know, it's it's, it's definitely something worth talking about. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do, uh, I do think that getting back to a three four is something that will help him. But I question if it is uh, if that you was know, the only. Well, thing you know what I like about Webster and and Barwin is you get two What's guys that? in there that at, at, at one in the secondary and one along the front seven that can guide and help these people adapt to what Wade Phillips is going to be, which is really sort of like a four or three under as, as Ben Albright has commented a lot. I mean, it's a a three, four, but it it plays out more like a four or three under. So I, 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 you know, I, I totally get where you're coming. Um, What I, I mean, do you think that, they brought in two guys. I mean, I know that, you know, with, with Webster, it's, it's not a guy that, that, that lights up, you know, the pages when you're like, oh, yeah, man, the Rams got Webster. It's, it's, he's not one of those types of signings. But he is right. a guy who has played for Wade. He has played uh, uh, under his system. He understands what's going to be expected of him. And if we're being doubly honest, the Rams seriously need somebody functional and competent alongside Tremaine Johnson. I think just even having a semi-competent cornerback alongside him would go a long way for this Rams defense. I agree, uh, but I don't, I don't think he's that. I don't think he's going to be competent. Here's, Here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. And uh, I'm not to be too uh, quote unquote hashtag too negative, but uh, I I look at the Kayvon Webster signing and, you know, four years in the league now. Okay. Uh, his rookie season is when he saw the most action. He was absolutely torched. <laughs> you know, he didn't, he didn't belong uh, on the field for as many snaps as he was getting. Um, it, it just, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good uh, showing. Um, it was so bad that the following year, you know, um, what even with Chris, um, what is Chris Harris and Aqib Talib, they you have two shutdown corners. They still went out and spent the first round pick on a corner. <laughs> you have Kayvon Webster, right? And you still go out and spend a, a first round pick on a corner, even though you have these two guys. Should be pretty telling of. The fact that he 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 wasn't good enough to even hold down the third the third spot, okay. Um, now you look at when the as time has gone on in his career, he hasn't really gotten better and he hasn't really earned that playing time. Um, Bradley Roby had just came in and just took it, and Bradley Roby isn't a you know isn't a top thirty corner in the NFL. You know he's solid, but he's not top anything. You know. So when he 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 was even better than Lamarcus Joyner. Now Lamarcus Joyner actually graded out as a top twenty corner. I don't that's something that I don't think a lot of people realize. 
but Bradley Roby wasn't better than LaMarcus Joyner, you know, and mm-hmm. we're talking about bringing in a guy that we're saying, oh, you know, he's going to be our number two corner. So you're telling me he's better than LaMarcus Joyner? No, absolutely not. Um, so how can I sit here and say that he's going to be, you know, this competent corner that's going to come in? I don't think he'd be better than EJ Games. I don't think he's better than what's on the roster right now. I think he's a solid special teams player. I don't think he's a spectacular special teams player. So is this As a guy I've, that's if, end up being more of a, how do you want to put it, teacher? No. <laughs> you don't even no. think he's capable of that. You don't think that they brought him no, I don't. to talk to the secondary. I mean, no, just I because think, you I think can't do doesn't mean you can't teach. No, absolutely. That's true. I don't think and I don't think it's so much of they brought him in to be a teacher because usually guys that's brought in to be teachers are guys that, you know, other players can follow, like those leaders, those locker room presences. That's not something that Kayvon Webster has ever been known to be. Um, So I don't think he's that guy that everyone's like, oh, man, you know, he's that guy that guys talk around the league like, oh, man, you know, I really respect that Kayvon. Not saying that he's a bad player or a bad guy or anything like that, but I don't think he has that clout. To be that, uh, to be that mentor of such, you know. And on top of that, he's he's one of the youngest. He's one of the the, the younger uh, younger players on the roster at only twenty six years old. A fresh twenty six at that, remind you, you know. So it's not like he's got a lot of uh, a lot of tread on his tires and some years, and you know, been in the league and taking care of business. He's, yeah, you know, he's been in the league for four years, but he hasn't really done anything since he's been in the league. It's hard to get guys to listen to you, especially in a brand new locker room in a new area where you don't really have anything to stand on. Your one season where you have so- a solid amount of tape, the tape wasn't very solid. <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it's, it's very tough to get guys to buy into you and what you have to say. You know, if, if it's that easy, Kayvon, and why didn't you do it? That's what guys are going to say to you in those situations. You know, so I don't think that that's why he was brought in. I think he's one of those guys that Wade Phillips liked a lot. I think he had a good relationship with Wade Phillips. They needed depth at the corner position. They needed more special teams bodies after uh, not signing a couple of key special teams guys. And I think Wade Phillips is like, hey, I have a guy that can feel these particular needs, you know, that can feel that depth, can feel that special teams, can do that. And we can get them in here. And okay. we, yeah, and I think that's what special K-pop teams needs. Speaking of special teams needs, because I feel like we've beaten Webster up enough. Um, <laughs> and, and we got to be quick about this because we got to get to Matt. But speaking yep. of special teams needs, I want to know how you feel about Chase Reynolds, because I'm really big on yep. the signing of Chase Reynolds. I think that that if they're unable, I, I don't know. Did Benny Cunningham already sign elsewhere? Eddie Cunningham signed with the Bears today, and okay. Uh, okay. I wasn't. I, 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 I hadn't that, that, seen anything yet, but today. Yeah, would make he signed sense. with the Bears today. Okay. Yeah. All right, so then they definitely replaced the position of need because Benny Cunningham was, as we've both said, the best damn running back they had on the team last year, and that yeah. doesn't even account for what he did in special teams. So, yeah. uh, getting a guy in there like Chase Reynolds represents to you a improvement a, 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 a same player well, if you're what, talking what is, special teams represent? if you're talking special teams then you're talking a stud chase Reynolds is one of the best special teams players in the nfl right now it's just that simple however um, oh, he's an improvement over over uh, over uh cunningham in that category it's no. just special teams 
in just special teams, I would have to say no because Benny Cunningham was the best in the NFL. Is Benny Cunningham right? And I'm going to and I'm going to and I'm going to and I'm going to explain why. Benny Cunningham is solid in every aspect of special teams, but then he's also great as a kick returner. Um, Benny Cunningham in the past four years, uh, just net average of kick returns is fourth in the NFL. No, that's not, you got to think about all the great kick returners in the NFL, all the guys that get voted sure. to the Pro Bowl and stuff like that over and over and over. And Benny Cunningham has never gotten that recognition, but he's he's outperformed so many of these players. You and know, where's Chase I Reynolds think, on that list? What's yeah, that? Like, now, where's Chase Reynolds on that list? And that's what makes this. That's what has made the Rams special team so good. I personally have felt that the Rams have three of the top special teams players in the NFL over the last couple of years and Chase Reynolds, Cody Davis, and Benny Cunningham. They have they have literally been a difference maker in special teams. And you look at kick coverage, kickoff, Benny Cunningham has made quite a few t- of tackles <laughs> getting downfield. Chase Reynolds, what makes him one of the best in the NFL is the fact that he's on all of the units. <laughs> he's on all of the units and he's always he's uh he's always having some sort of impact. He's always getting tackles. He's always making great blocks, things like that. So he's on all of the units. But Benny Cunningham well, for what he is on, he has really exceeded what you will would have thought uh, that he would have done uh, being an undrafted free agent coming out as a running back that was fresh off a knee injury. You know, I thought he was a great runner coming out, and I thought that he would make the team because of his running ability. But I never in a million years thought he would become the special teams player that he is. Yeah, that no, was and that's- lost. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and that's why I, I'm saying, like, where do you think that, that, that Chase Reynolds, what does he represent in terms of are the Rams getting a guy who can can give them some of what uh, Benny Cunningham gave them, or is this a significant decline? You know, that's, that's kind of what I was it's, getting at. It's a um, decline because you've had him, you've had Chase Reynolds, and you've had Benny Cunningham. So right. since you've had Chase Reynolds, unless he just magically gets better in year six, then or year five, or year five, year six, whatever it is now, unless he just magically gets better, it's a decline because you're staying the same at that spot, but you lost Benny Cunningham. And Lance Dunbar is not an upgrade because he he doesn't do everything that Benny Cunningham can do. Right. How do you feel about Lance Dunbar? Because I, you know, I've heard a lot of excitement surrounding him. I mean, he's a guy who uh, has some versatility. Uh, he, he's a scat back, kind of. Uh, sort of gives you that option uh, that, the, that the Rams, well, I mean, they kind of have with Tavon Austin. But it just gives you another way to set up your offense and flex guys out, and, you know, maybe go three, four receiver sets. Uh, no, nah. I like I like the signing. I really do. I'm not crazy about it at all. Um, he's not the returner. I'm not saying that, I think it's going to be like a world beater. I'm just saying, as a personal like dislike, nothing more than that. I like the signing. Well, it, here's why I'm not crazy about it. I look at it and I say this. Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna uh, take the take that route, you know, as far as mm-hmm. trying to go the cheap route, things like that, I believe that you probably should have paid Benny Cunningham because he wasn't gonna break the bank. 
Um, it's just that simple. I he wasn't going to make thinks that Benny Cunningham should have been brought back. Like, don't, yeah. don't like, I want no, 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 no. I know, I know that's not what you're saying. Okay. Right. <laughs> I'm saying that if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to take the cheap route out, you know, you're not, if you're not going to go improve on Benny Cunningham is what I'm getting at. If you're not going to get a better player, then you should stick with him. I don't want it. What's the point of bringing in someone of equal or anything like that? Now, I don't think Lance Dunbar is even equal for one. Let's just uh, start with the availability. He he doesn't play the full season very often. He's been in the league for five seasons. He played the full season once. Um, in that full season, he wasn't really much of. He didn't really have much of an impact. Um, the, his career is just uh, is not a very good average <laughs> per attempt. I think he's averaging somewhere around like three point eight, three point nine yards per carry um, for his career. Uh, so you're not you're not signing him for his running ability, which is something that, as you said, we, you and I both agree on. Benny Cunningham was absolutely phenomenal with his running ability. His footwork was ab- unbelievable. But then you look at his receiving. Um, he's not a blocking possibility in here where the Rams tried to sign Benny Cunningham, but he did absolutely. what's called the James Milner and just was like. Absolutely. Uh, it's definitely a possibility. Um, am I sold on that? No. And the reason why is because they signed Lance Dunbar. Um, when you look at Sean McVay and what he had in Washington, it looks that he's it appears that he's trying to rebuild that. Uh, the players that he's brought in, Robert Woods, similar build to Pierre Garcon. Uh, you have Tavon Austin, who's similar to Tavon Austin. Um, he's Cut Lance Kendricks and put yeah, Tyler. I, I, I do believe that Tavon Austin is similar to Tavon. Sort of, he's, he's sort of rebuilding, rebuilding that Washington uh, personnel that he had. I, th- I and think and Tavon at- Austin is a bit is a bit like uh, uh, Deshaun Jackson, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> Obviously, he uh, signed with the Bears. Uh, and, and 
for us, we feel like Cunningham was one of the more significant losses, under understated losses for the Rams this offseason. Uh, now, they do have Chase Reynolds. I believe they re-signed him, and I believe that they signed Lance Dunbar. Uh, where do you feel like the Rams are at with, with those players versus the loss of Benny Cunningham? Uh, it is a really good question, and, and you're right that Cunningham is kind of was a little bit of an unheralded player. But you know, you saw several times whether it was last or whether it was 2015 in Todd Gurley's rookie year or early in the 2015 or 2016 season, excuse me, that um, they really the, the coaching staff there seemed kind of hesitant to trust Gurley in passing down situations, which was odd because he was a really uh, excellent receiver at Georgia uh, prior to his injury and everything like that. He'd been a really big asset for them in the, in the passing game. So it was odd to see the Rams not really want to trust him, but that just kind of showed you that they valued Cunningham, whether it was as a receiver or as a pass blocker. And we know that pass blocking is a huge thing for coaches when it comes to running back. So perhaps the Jeff Fisher led coaching staff just really trusted Cunningham in those pass blocking situations and, and maybe not so much girly though. To be fair, Gurley did start to catch more passes uh, towards the end of the 2016 season. So, um, But right away, you know, you're talking about passing down backs. You see them bring in a player like Lance Dunbar, who has long time been a, a solid guy on third downs that you can use as an outlet receiver, you know, a good guy in blitz pickup protection. He definitely took some, some third down snaps over Ezekiel Elliott at times this year. So he could perhaps uh, resume that role with the L.A. Rams this year, or, again, maybe they continue to let Gurley thrive as a passing down option. But, you know, you mentioned all these guys, and beyond a, a third down role for Lance Dunbar, they definitely don't seem to have a, a strong backup running back, somebody that if, yeah. if Gurley were to get hurt, you know, that they could give 15 to 20 carries to. It seems like that's something that they're missing right now. Yeah, and that's part of the problem that that we've been discussing, and and we'll we'll get to that part in a bit. So I'll put in a pin in it for now. But I I do kind of want to pick up and 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 talk about where you see the Rams right now, just in overall terms of football competency, ability to compete for titles. I realize that Sean McVay hasn't coached a down or a snap as a head coach. Uh, we know that Wade Phillips has definitely coached a few downs and a few snaps as a defensive coordinator in his day. Um, we know not what Jared Goff will look like um, or if Jared Goff will, in fact, even be the guy. Uh, seems likely he would be, but stranger things have happened with new coaches. What do the Rams look like in theory moving forward to you? Where where do they fit in as compared to the Niners, who record-wise were worse, but both of their wins were over the Rams? So say what you will about that. <laughs> right. I mean, this is this team is really at a tough spot right now for me because, you know, not only are they obviously coming off a poor season in 2016. They also don't have a lot of cap room to spend. And that's without extending Aaron Donald yet. You know, they have some bad uh, contracts on that roster. 
And so they don't exactly have a ton of resources to improve the team. You know, let's not also forget that they dropped a ton of draft picks into the Jared Goff trade, which, I mean, at this point, it's hard. It's, uh, of course, he has youth on his side, but from what he showed as a rookie, it's hard to feel like super encouraged about him. So they're in a tough spot there. Also, I think the biggest problem with the LA Rams right now is that they're kind of, they have a bit of an identity crisis on offense based on the, the two players that they'd like to build around. Because if you think about Todd Gurley, he is the classic workhorse running back. You know, he obviously didn't have a good season last year, but I think most people know that he is a physically uh, talented player. But at the same time, he didn't have a good season last year, should be able to rebound hopefully going forward. But the problem with him is that he needs to have kind of a big mauling offensive line that moves people out of the way, operate in a traditional offense, much like we saw Adrian Peterson off, uh, operate in for a lot of his career. But Jared Goff, on the other hand, really needs to be more of a spread quarterback with multiple wide receivers on the field, a strong pass blocking offensive line, and easy reads for him to make you know chunk throws that he doesn't have to get too flustered on. So that is a tough marriage to make. That's kind of like oil and water trying to mix together right now with those two. So I think the biggest problem facing the Rams is who are they? Who are they? Are, are the, are they who are they on offense? Are they going to be a team built around Todd Gurley and a foundation power running game? Or are they going to be a team that builds around their franchise quarterback, which you would think they should be? And in that case, I think they need to be a more up-tempo spread offense. But the two of those are kind of hard to marry together. You know, I'm really, really glad that you mentioned that um, because it's something that I've I've been talking about now for a while since the season, actually, is you have yourself this back who specializes in running out of, like, the eye. <laughs> Lining up behind the quarterback with the quarterback under center and running downhill. He's not a real side-to-side shifty guy, so you don't want to get him going sideline-to-sideline too much. But then you also have a quarterback who – that's kind of his bread and butter is being back there in the shotgun and, you know, being able to spread it around and open up the field. And that's what, that's what he's comfortable with. So you have two completely different players um, in one system. And like you said, it's sort of an identity crisis. So how, like, how can you possibly fix that? Is that, is that going to be Sean McVay's biggest task uh, going into next season is figuring out a way to make it work? between Ty Gurley and Jared Goff? Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, his, his biggest task will be to make it work with Jared Goff. I mean, you know, just the value of the two positions compared with each other, be that being quarterback and running back, I mean, it's much more important to have a strong functional quarterback than it is to have a strong functional running back. And also when you combine that with what they gave up to get Jared Goff, they absolutely have to make that pick work. And, I will. I would say that I am pretty confident in Sean McVay's ability to. I mean, we've never seen him be the primary play caller with Jake Gruden there in Washington. But if you just go off what Washington did for Kirk Cousins, they should be able to design uh, an attack for him to be able to spread the field with multiple receivers to have really easy reads. I mean, if you watch Washington's offense on on coaches' film, you see them run a lot of defined reads, a lot of short in-breaking routes where receivers are in good positions to get yards after the catch. You know, I think players like Robert Woods and even Tavon Austin to a lesser degree can be those players in, in that offense. So I think that, that, that that's his primary job is to make it work with 
Jared Goff. And in terms of how he integrates that with making it work for Todd Gurley, I mean, that is a, like, like you're alluding to, that is a quite a big challenge. Um, I think they have brought in a couple of offensive linemen that should be able to help. I mean, Andrew Whitworth especially is a great pass-blocking left tackle, but he's also a big physical guy who can move people in the run game, which should also allow them to move Greg Robinson into compete at right tackle or maybe move to guard because he's just been a, he has been a bust at left tackle. So hopefully if you can improve two spots in one move there, that would be a nice start to be able to kind of be multiple on that offensive line because I think that would be a nice first step in the right direction. So when you when you talk about Sean McVay coming in and creating the right schemes and simplifying the offense, but make simplifying it, but still coming up with explosive plays, I think I think it has to be asked: What are the plans for Tavon Austin? Um, I, it's start, I think it's starting to be floated around of is this his make or break year? You know, he just signed this huge contract. He was the number eight pick after they traded up for him. You know, there's a lot riding on the line for Tavon Austin. And while he's had a lot of um, a lot of good moments and a lot of it can be pent on um, schemes, um, a lot, it's hard to it's hard to average more than nine to 10 yards a catch when most of your passes are being thrown within three yards of the line of scrimmage. You know, so right. he has he has that to lean on. That is true. It's, a, it's definitely a fair argument. It's an argument I've even made for him. But at the same time, there's a lot of plays that get left on the field where you're like, okay, when is this number eight pick going to look like a number eight pick in those situations? Uh, What is the plan for Tavon Austin? Can Shavik Bay really really bring that out of him, make him the player that that people thought that he could be? What's his future look like under Big Bay? Well, I think that's the problem is I just don't think that that, you know, to be, to be fair at this point, like we're, we're multiple years into Tavon Austin's career. I don't think we're going to see him be worth that number eight overall pick. Or then again, the contract that he got after that, which pays him $10.5 million a year. That's the problem, really. Like Tavon Austin has his place in the NFL. He has use as a, as a, as a kicker punt returner, as a guy that can win out in space. But the problem is that the Rams have essentially, and you see teams do this, but, you know, not intentionally, but you see this happen a lot that, teams will essentially put their players in a position to disappoint by just being, by investing in them too much, whether it's too much money in a contract extension or too high of a draft pick. The problem is, like you said, he's always going to have those expectations on him because of those investments. But I just don't know that we can say at this point from everything we've seen that he's going to live up to that sort of potential. Um, I do think Sean McVay, like I mentioned, can put some sort of plan in place to make use of his skill set. But at the same time, I mean, I think his 2015 season um, when he was a useful player as both a receiver and a runner is kind of the best case scenario for him. And, you know, unfortunately (laughs) the Rams invested ten and a half million dollars a year in that. And that's just, I just don't think that that's a worthwhile investment. I don't know if he would have gotten that contract anywhere else. So uh, frankly, I think he just kind of is what he is at this point. Um, you know, it's, I mean, what are we going to sit around till the year 2028 and like still be wondering when is the coaching staff going to use Tavon Austin, right? You know, <laughs> with the Rams? Uh, I think we're, yeah, it's a right. possibility. So I, yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> so I just, honestly, I think he kind of is what he is, but I do at least have um, some confidence. Like I mentioned that on those short to intermediate slant in breaking routes that Austin could be used as a nice player in space on those. And again, if they're going to use a spread offense concept to, to make life easier for Jared Goff, that's what Tavon Austin essentially was doing in college where he looked really special at West Virginia. So 
I think that's probably the best case scenario for both of them. And that brings up sort of, I'm going to get into some questions from, from, from listeners and, and other members of the site. But um, you look at what the Rams have available to them in the upcoming draft. You, you, you've already talked about how much they gave up to get Jared Goff. And while I think I could spend 15 minutes talking to you about, well, we've kind of seen what Jared Goff is, you know, even even at his days in Cal, he had great performances except when he went up against hard-nosed defenses. I just know this covering the Pac-12 for, for you know, several years. It was, it was the same thing every time against the Stanfords or the ASUs or the, or the uh, Utahs or the USCs. Jared Goff would just get picked off. He would just throw straight to defensive backs without looking. And, and you know, he's replicating that in the NFL. And Keon Fahey had put out a stat that um, throws plus five yards, further than five yards down the field. Jared Goff's completion percentage was like around 5%. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, 5% for a quarterback throwing, you know, plus five yards, that probably means he literally completed one or two throws. And that's, you can't have that. Now, McVay can do a lot of things, but can he be a first-time head coach, team rebuilder? Because remember, Jeff Fisher gutted this team essentially before he left. Loaded a team up with bad contracts, like you mentioned, and basically let a perfectly vaunted secondary just walk out the door. And now they're stuck paying Trumaine Johnson on these inflated franchise tags instead of just getting a long-term deal done. Can he do that plus be a quarterback whisperer? I mean, you talked about putting people in positions to fail. This almost feels like it's McVay's being set up to fail. It's a lot. It's a lot to expect of a coach. And in any situation, I am always hesitant to feel good about a first-time NFL head coach also retaining play-calling duties. And it does sound like McVay is indeed going to call the plays there in L.A. And that sends off alarm signals to me. You know, I was just – I do a lot of charting work with wide receivers for a series called Reception Perception that I do. And I was just recently charting Odell Beckham's games. And, you know, I came to the conclusion – yeah, no kidding, Odell Beckham's still very good, but man, that offense around him is hard to watch. And if you look at the Giants last year, this was not Ben McAdoo's first year as offensive coordinator, but it was his first year juggling the play-calling duties and the head coaching duties. I mean, to be a head coach, you really have to be a CEO. You have to be involved in all the meetings. You have to know your players. You have to know the ins and outs of the organization and also be kind of a PR frontman for the organization, too, But when you're an offensive coordinator, you're installing game plans, you're preparing, you're analyzing the upcoming opponents. It's a lot for anybody to to manage. And and some some coaches are good at it. You know, Bruce Arians calling plays in Arizona or Andy Reid calling plays in in Kansas City. I mean, you definitely see some guys able to handle it, but it's a lot to ask of a first-year head coach that also, like you mentioned, is dealing with the team that is – they're out here in L.A. now, but they're also trying to move to a new stadium. There's a lot going on with the Rams right now. and I guess you're right. If there's one thing that is going to undo Sean McVay, it's all the 
it's all that's on his plate right now. In addition to trying to fix a quarterback that he didn't even hand pick, you know, that's the, right. that is the, that's another thing right there is that this was Jeff Fisher, uh, this is Jeff Fisher and Les Steve's guy. Um, it's a, it's a lot to, to balance right now. I don't want to sound too doom and gloom about the team, but it's a, there's a lot, there's a lot on their, on his plate right now. And, and, and you know what I I've come across, I found with sports fans, at least the ones on turf show times, and especially the ones on, I do a Manchester city podcast. They appreciate the honesty rather than, you know, this inflated sense of optimism that ultimately leads to disappointment. It's like, they'd rather know what to expect and, and piggybacking off of that, so if you look at, because I, I started talking about this and then I sort of went into a tangent about what was needed, which all leads to this, if you were, if you were putting on your GM hat and you were the guy drafting for the Rams, how would you diagnose the order? Because when I put this out on Twitter, most commonly people said they would burn the first second round pick on a wide receiver, which was surprising to me given that this is a cornerback heavy draft and I feel like they could get more value going secondary first and still get a couple of wide. And, and I'm glad you were mentioned, you mentioned the reception perception, put a pin in that. Cause I actually got a couple of questions about that uh, uh, on, on, on some guys you did. But how would you disperse out these draft picks? What for you is the highest? I mean, you know, there's offensive line needs, there's receiving needs, there's secondary needs, there's need needs, there's just needs, man. I've even heard best player available strategy, which I don't agree with, but I've heard people say that BPA is the way the Rams should go. Putting all that together, I mean, what's your opinion on it? Well, I think you you mentioned the wide receiver position, and I think that this draft, in terms of wide receivers, is is not top heavy. There's not a ton of guys that I think will go in the first round, but I think that second day will be chock full of potential long term contributors. Really good, you know, number two to number three receivers, even some number fours. So, if that's what you're looking for, I think that that will be available on the second, uh, in the, really the second to fourth round. Um, the problem is I feel like we've been saying about the, the Rams for years and years that they have a bunch of guys that are fine complimentary players, but they don't have a number one. So I don't think they're getting a number one receiver in this draft. So are you really, like you mentioned, are you just kind of being redundant by getting another player in the second round? That's probably at best a high end number two. And it's a conversation worth having. Um, you mentioned the secondary before how they, they let Janoris Jenkins walk out. They, they let a safety go to the Eagles. And I, I think at this point they do have to reinvest in that because the problem with the Rams defense is yes, they do have an aggressive front four. Uh, they have some great passers. I mean, Aaron Donald is a, is a legendary type player, but in the secondary, they don't have the players to hold up to it. And your rush can be as good as it wants, but if your guys back there can't cover, you're, you're going to have some problems and, you know, EJ Gaines, I remember just several times during the season, especially when Michael Thomas went up against him. I mean, that was an absolute embarrassment uh, for, for him. So I think that right now they'd have to invest some of those picks in the secondary, and it is a good defensive back class. So that should be something where it kind of matches up that they need an immediate impact player in those draft picks that they have because they don't have very many of them. Um, they don't have a first-round pick. So 
it's definitely something where I think they could look for at the secondary in the in the sort of second round or, or later on in the draft. But if you're going for wide receivers or, or again, even even running back, this is supposed to be a really strong running back and tight end class. Um, and they certainly could use they I mean, they have Tyler Higby, who should be a nice up and comer, but they want to add at the tight end position. Um, if they want to add a, a backup running back in order to, you know, kind of lighten Todd Gurley's load or at least have some insurance in case he gets hurt, those are positions that you could identify uh, on the, even the third day and potentially get some impact players. And I think that's something that they'll look at too. When you're light, when you're light on draft picks, you really kind of have to, to match up where value is going to be on the board, where players you get with immediate impact. And I think by going with the secondary early in, in, earlier in the draft and then maybe – load up on some of those skill position players as the, as the draft way, wanes, you're looking at kind of your best way to get immediate impact out of it. Fair play. You know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stick to the defensive talk while we're on it. Um, I look at the, the Rams front four and I said last year, I thought that it was kind of on the decline. Um, and I had, I felt that it had a lot to do with Chris Long and James Arnott is leaving, but then also, just the the health of Robert Quinn coming into last year that he got hurt again last year. Uh, so I felt like it was kind of on the decline. And I thought that the year kind of really backed that up. They weren't the same force that they was for the first time. We actually seen Aaron Donald get slowed down to some degree on the second half of the season as teams just didn't fear anyone else. <laughs> they were able to lock in on Aaron Donald. Now, Aaron Donald being Aaron Donald, his slowing down is still good play <laughs> compared to other players, but he wasn't Aaron Donald. And it was because teams were able to focus on him so much because there just wasn't a fear from Eugene Sims and other players. Um, now going into uh, going into a new year under a new scheme and having a, a, a having a bunch of players that are four three guys, I look at uh, a player like Robert Quinn, who we know when healthy can really get after the quarterback. I mean, before getting hurt last year, he looked like his old self. But is he a 3-4 outside edge rusher is my question. Um, I look at him as a guy who really excels at what he does because he's able to put his hand in the ground and really explode out. Is he a guy that can stand up and really play out in space uh, with this with this uh, scheme change? Is there a chance that in, in coming off of another injury riddle season at that, is there a chance that we could see more of a decline from uh, Robert Quinn? Or do, is there a chance that he could start to get back on the right track under um, Wade Phillips. Well, you're right that it's definitely been longer than it really feels that we've seen, you know, dominant edge play from Robert Quinn. Um, the most frustrating thing to me is when any coach comes in and doesn't play to the strengths of the players on their roster. Um, I know Wade Phillips is a longtime successful defensive coordinator and, you know, it feels ridiculous for a guy, some some dorko in his apartment bedroom to question his judgment. But I, I definitely I definitely think that like you gotta make sure, especially with a player like Aaron Donald and Dominic Easley, who they got some nice snaps of last year if he's back on the roster, yeah. like you you've gotta make sure you're catering to the talent that's on your team and not necessarily making square pegs fit into round holes. I think that's when you get in a ton of trouble as a coaching staff. So I hope that they can design a system that puts guys like Quinn, puts guys like Donald, all these other you know, potential guys they have on the front four there, put them in positions to succeed because that's the, I think that is the biggest problem that, that coaching staffs run into and they, they lengthen the time that it's going to take for them to have uh, an effective unit or, or really 
start to turn the franchise around. So quite frankly, I, I don't know the answer to that question. Like whether, whether we'll see them get back to form, I would, I would think that they all have the talent to, but it's really going to be about can the coaching staff kind of be malleable and adjust the system to what they do well. Well, I agree. I definitely think that putting those square pegs and round holes has never paid off <laughs> as history would show. No. Um, but speaking of which, and uh, we talked on, we talked about this a little earlier, um, Connor Barwin. I thought that it was a good signing, but risky signing. Um, he ha- he's getting older, and we saw his play sort of fall off last year. But he was one of those players, as we were just talking about, um, with the Eagles switching schemes. He went from a three-four, which he's been mostly comfortable with in his career, and has had his greatest success with, to a four-three. And he- we saw his play decline now. Was it because of the age or was it because of the scheme? We don't really know. But one thing that we do know is that it did indeed decline. He wasn't the same pass rusher. Well, he's a good uh, good guy for the locker room. He's a hard worker. He's he's experienced. And he he's had a lot of success. Bringing him in is a good signing, but then it's also risky because you don't really know if the play fell off because of the scheme or the age. Um, what do you what do you think that the Rams that the Rams and Rams fans and everyone out there should be expecting from a 31 year old Connor Barwin coming back to a Wade Phillips who he knows pretty well. Yeah. You mentioned Wade Phillips. He, he knows him well. They, they spent some time together in Houston. And, you know, sometimes when you're, um, you know, I know every, every, everybody wants a, a football player to come in and be good at playing football, but no kidding. That makes sense. But at the same <laughs> time, sometimes when you're, again, you're a new coaching staff and you're making that transition, sometimes you got to bring guys in for the culture, you know, to set the tone, to, again, if you're going to change up the scheme, have them be able to assist those young guys in, in making that transition or, or players that just straight up aren't in, are inexperienced in playing in your scheme. So I think for, for that sense, like, it's worth it just to bring Barwin in to set the tone a little bit. Um, in terms of what he can offer still, I think as a situational pass rusher, maybe playing less snaps, um, that he would be most successful. The problem is, as you mentioned, the play of that front four overall and just the talent of that unit really started to kind of dip back uh, to more of a just slightly above league average level in terms of instead of like a, a league best uh, situation. So I think that, that he might, he might be forced into playing more snaps than you really ideally want. But again, like I mentioned, I think the most important role that he'll play is be a tone setter, be somebody that can assist other players in, uh, in learning the system and, and getting prepared. So overall, I think it's a good signing. Um, you know, there's not a ton of risk involved in it either way, even if he's not a, a premier pass rusher or anything. So let me ask you this, and uh, I, I'm kind of on the side of a yes to this question, uh, but do you think the Rams should be looking at adding more pass rushers? Um, and I know I touched on it, but you look at the the, de- the decline, and then, you know, you over the years you've, you've gotten rid of a lot of players that's had success in that front seven, Look at the decline, um, and now they're for the first time in years actually fan with some of the moves made this offseason. They're actually fan in the front seven. So, do you think the Rams should be looking at pass rushers? Because um, this is really a really good draft for defensive linemen, whether you're interior or exterior or you're just an edge rusher. It's a really, really good draft. But the problem is, you're probably looking at drafting using one of those, your first two or three picks between rounds two and three to get that guy and bring that guy in. So is that something the Rams should consider? So that's a really, that's actually a really good question, especially harkening back to what we were saying about them potentially needing to address the secondary. Cause there's one school of thought where, 
look, we're weak in the back end. We have some players up front. We should fill in our secondary with some corners and some safeties and, and get that up to snuff. But at the same time, you've seen other teams have success and kind of to what you're alluding to is just make your strength incredibly strong. Take that from a good level to a very good or even elite level. So if they add players at the front four or just in the front seven and pass rush in general, that might actually be their best way of approaching building the defense. And then as that pass rush gets to a very good or one of the top 10 units in the league, then in future years, because look, I mean, the Rams are not going to, not going to win the Super Bowl this year. They're probably not going to be a playoff contending team. So, in while they're while they're baking everything together and getting ready for the future, they could really be served well. Like you're saying, attack that defensive line, get another edge rusher in there, um, make that strength again a a super strength. And I think one team that did a really good job of that is the Carolina Panthers. For the longest time, they never had any great players in the secondary. Dave Gettleman would would kind of patch the dam up with players like Drayton Florence or whatever. Uh, and their front four and their, their defensive line was really a strength of the team for the longest time. And our secondary is able to, has been able to kind of come along. They had Josh Norman, obviously in 2015 turn into really a superstar level player. Perhaps the Rams can have something like that happen to them. But even now, I mean, it started off Rocky this year with the Panthers secondary, but in the latter half of the year, some of the young players that they started to develop really started to catch up to the play of the front four. So I mean, yeah, that's another way you could approach it if you just want to, again, kind of ignore the secondary, um, maybe put some substandard players back there, but build up your front four to more of an elite level. That's fair. And I'm going to kind of roll this question because we got a bunch of questions about receivers. So I'm just going to kind of roll it all into one. So Sid asked what he he uh, want what you thought about the wide receiver class in general. Then a couple of our guys got more specific. Brandon Bates said, "I know he loves Carlos Henderson, and I do too." But ask him about a late round wide receiver with something like a fifth to seventh round grade who you looked at and were impressed by in 2016. And then Sosa kind of like backtracked and said, well, maybe ask him about Chad Williams from Grambling uh, from the reception perceptions. Uh, and similarly, I read yours on Zay Jones. Actually, I don't know how I li- landed on me, but somebody was like, you need, need to check this out. And I read it and I was just like mesmerized by it. Uh, it is a really intriguing prospect to me, too. So uh, yeah. just fundamental thoughts about the receiver position. And is there any way in general that the Rams can pick up anything of use in those later rounds? Because we've already talked about the needs and, and certainly with the defensive line, another way they could address. So that if you do that, maybe look at the moving back to that late rounds and try and grab somebody there that just develops into a stud. Is there one? Well, I think this, this receiver class, you know, just in general, uh, like I said up top is that, it's not really a top-heavy group where, like, last year in the 2016 NFL draft, we saw four wide receivers go in the first round. I don't think we will see four go in the first round this time. Although, there's a chance. Uh, one of my favorite players, Chris Godwin, is a, is a guy I wouldn't be surprised to see him sneak into the first round and kind of surprise people. But um, in terms of getting up there with, like, Williams, Corey Davis, and John Ross, who I think are kind of probably locked into first-round spots at this point. But 
Um, in terms of guys that you can find like later on, that's where I think the strength of this draft is, is that it, in day two, like I mentioned earlier, there's a ton of complimentary receivers that could be really good. Uh, Zay Jones is a player that I think probably goes early day two um, because, you know, he ran really well at the combine. He jumped really well at the combine. I mean, he really, I mentioned this in the reception perception piece, really took me by surprise, but he could be kind of, you know, for the Rams, kind of give them something that uh, Jamison Crowder gave Sean McVay in Washington. I think they could, they're not really built the same, but I think they play the game similarly. So that could be a player that they look at if they want to go day two. Um, If they want to kind of dip back maybe to that day three range, there are some intriguing guys that like Ishmael Zamora is a player who we have no idea where he's going to go in the draft because he has a pretty ugly animal abuse incident that, that caused him to not get invited to the combine. But he has a lot of physical talent, and like I mentioned earlier, the Rams don't have a true number one receiver. I believe Zamora does have the physical gifts of a, of a of a number one receiver. He has the contested catch ability of a number one receiver. So, you know, if you, you're willing to take on that kind of PR risk, I mean, it's not as much as a uh, as a player like Joe Mixon will bring you, but it's definitely something you could make that move, kind of go for a swing for the fences. There are other guys too on that day three range, like. Ryan Switzer, I think, is an awesome slot receiver from UNC. Again, if you're kind of looking for a Jamison Crowder type, although they, they kind of have a, you know, a Robert Woods and a Tavon Austin who are on the smaller side already. Um, but a Ryan Switzer is a guy that could you could put him in the slot and really give Jared Goff a nice, easy, dependable target that they could grow up together. Um, and another player is Josh Malone from, from Tennessee. He ran a 4-4 at the Combine. He has good vertical scores for me. He's not a player that is going to be a consistent outside win every route-by-route basis uh, receiver, but he's somebody that, again, on day three, if you're looking for a straight vertical player, uh, he could he could be that guy there. Um, and so there's a ton of receivers that you could go through uh, and, you know, that, that just offer a lot of different types. I mean, that's the thing about this class is there's, there's kind of a, every flavor that you could want. There are slot guys or are guys that make plays in, in space. There are outside receivers, some flankers, some X's. So there's a lot of guys that the Rams could look at and potentially try to kind of hit that home run on day three. Perfect. And, you know, you mentioned some of the guys that the Rams had, and, and I was kind of asked if, if you had a chance to look at, because one of the names that what, what you didn't bring up in there is that the Rams also have Pharaoh Cooper and, uh, I'm not going to call him the poor man's Mike Thomas, but I just did. The other Mike um, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, Mike, Mike Thomas the second. Um, the, but, uh, yeah, the, and you know what? And Mike Thomas has done some things for the Rams. He's actually really impressed and, and made some moves, and I thought there was a chance this year he could possibly work his way in, but that'll depend, of course, on what happens. But, just looking at what the Rams have had, what what do you think about some of these guys, Tamaric Hemingway, Tyler Higby, so on and so forth? Will any of them, do you think, catch on? The, let, me, let me not forget the guy that everybody keeps talking about who hasn't done a damn thing for the Rams, Nelson Spruce, because Lord knows how often his name comes up. But uh, is... <laughs> Is there a guy? Is there a guy waiting to explode out in Sean McVay's offense that's sitting on this roster? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And you're right. They did draft two receivers last year. I liked Mike Thomas an awful lot coming out of Southern. Michigan. I did too. I, mean, I was not. Yeah. Good player. You know, my buddy, Matt Waldman, who writes for football guys does a great job with the rookie scout. Oh, we've had him on. He's phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. He was actually the first, I remember last, last uh, off season when we took our annual football guys retreat to Vegas. I remember him telling me, he's like, there's a receiver you need to watch Southern Mississippi. Mike Thomas went back and charted him for reception perception. Definitely looked like a, a draft day sleeper to me. Now I think some of the hype got a little out of control on him, but Certainly a player who I think has potential could really grow in his second year. And, you know, there were some ugly moments. I know he dropped a big pass in Seattle that everybody saw on Thursday night against the Seahawks. But I think there's still some potential for Mike Thomas. So he's a player that I think is worth developing. Um, You know, of all the guys that they have on the roster right now, he's really the one that's kind of built most like an outside potential X receiver. Um, Farrell Cooper wasn't one of my favorites coming out of last year's draft class. Um, I, it, there were a lot of easy jokes to make at the time that essentially they just took a handcuff for, uh, for, for Tavon Austin. And I think he is, it's just a, one was drafted with the eighth overall pick and one went in the fourth round. Um, but I think Farrell Cooper can kind of be, you know, a low end slot receiver, but again, there's, there's room for that on the roster. Um, but Mike Thomas, definitely somebody I'd keep an eye out for. And Tyler Higby is really talented tight end. Like that's a player that I'm excited to see in his second year. Uh, with the Rams and his first year with Sean McVay, who they've almost always turned out productive tight ends in that offense. We know Jordan Reed turned into really a a stud player. And uh, even when Vernon Davis got on the field at times this year for Washington, when many people thought his career was over, he was productive. So Tyler Higby is definitely somebody that that I think you should keep an eye on. I mean, the Rams have some some interesting projects uh, and I like Robert Woods more than most people, people do, but it's certainly an area where I think they'll continue to add bodies. Here's a fun thing. Cause Matt Waldman actually dropped this on us. Uh, he, he asked us this cause I, I was telling him that people felt like they were let down by, by Ty, Tyler Higby's uh, breakout season and or not having a breakout season. And then I said, but I don't really recall too many tight ends that came in and like took the league by storm. Um, and uh, he, he actually told us the last tight end to do so. Do you know who it was? I, I don't know who it was, uh, but he, he's right though. The tight ends are notoriously slow developing. Dick oh, was wow. the last yeah. guy to come in in his, in his inaugural campaign and have an impact is what Waldman dropped on us. And I was like, oh, wow, that, that, is, that is a pretty vaunted stat there, man. So, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 I like Tyler Higby. I think he can be something in this offense. He's a guy that excites me. And you talked about, you know, how they like to use tight ends down in Washington. I'm just wondering how big of a weapon Tyler Higby can become in this offense. You know, I mean, you you sort of look at what when he's on the field, the, the, the you know, the, the gronks of the world and the kind of impact they can have. Uh, what can Tyler Higby be? What's his ceiling? Well, it's a good question because obviously he had a he had a legal incident uh, before the draft that caused him to kind of fall to the fourth round. I think he would have gone higher than that if there wasn't that that violence issue with him. Because um, so he's because he's a talented tight end man. He can move. 
you know, he's kind of, he's not, again, he's not built like Gronk or, or a big blocking tight end that can, that can move people in the run game, but definitely fits that kind of move tight end profile. And there were, there were instances where I think he flashed a little bit, but like you mentioned, tight end is just a, it's a slow burn position, man. You got to be patient with those guys for a year, sometimes even two years. Um, so I think that, that Higby could be a guy that potentially comes in and, and starts and, you know, maybe seized 80 to, to 100 targets just because of the, the dearth of uh, talent at that, at that uh, wide receiver position, or at least a dearth of established high-end starters. So I think Higby can be a player that really takes a step forward in the second year because he has the, the talent to do it. You know, I'm going to touch on Higby a little bit before I ask this next question, but I agree with you 100%. He was actually my favorite tight end in last year's draft. Um, I compare him a lot to Travis Kelsey. I think that's kind of the player that he could be, um, the potential that he has. Um, I don't think he's, you know, a, a baby Gronk, as they like to call Kelsey. I don't think that that's what he is. I don't think Kelsey's a baby Gronk. <laughs> no one's a baby Gronk. But uh, I do think that he's, yeah, that's kind of where his ceiling is. Um, but I'm glad that you mentioned the success of the tight ends under McVay because if, if there's anything out there that's true that's said about McVay, it's that his offense does breed successful tight ends. And I look at uh, Tameric Hemingway, who was a player that I had listed as one of my 10 you know, uh, underrated players in last year's draft. And I think that he is just a freak at the tight end position, like a true freak that can really go out there and really hurt you in so many different ways because of his speed. And um, he, he's a faster player than Tyler Higby, and he has really, really good hands. The thing that he really needs to work on is blocking as he was this sort of spread um tight end in a lower level school coming out. Um, I, I think if anybody is a sort of sleeper prospect at the tight end position, it's probably him considering so many people are already expecting Tyler Higby to really step in and do things, but he uses a lot of multiple tight end sets, which means someone has to fill that other spot. Is that something that's already on the roster? And I'm myself in thinking that it is with Tamara Hemingway as, or as tight end, some a sleeper position that the Rams might be able to looking at in that fourth or fifth round range. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they would spend a priority pick on it, like you like you mentioned. They had they have two guys that they invested in last year as rookies, so it would it would seem a little redundant. The only thing that would get me um, second guessing that call is the fact that this is a deep and strong tight end class. And we talked about best player on the board uh, earlier. If they're sitting there in the uh, you know in the, in the fourth round or the fifth round, and there's a guy that just looks like he's just a better value, perhaps they go for it. But yeah, I think they have two guys that are over they're they're over six foot four. You know, they they're both guys that are athletes and can run. So I think those are two players that you know you, we, that they should build around. Uh, and like you mentioned, that Sean McVay definitely likes to use the multiple tight end sets. So. I, I think that that's a situation where we could see those guys kind of become um, more foundation pieces of the offense than in years past. Okay, so I know we talked about the receivers quite a bit, and I'm with you. I really like Mike Thomas coming out. I still like Mike Thomas. I see a lot of uh, uh, Chad Johnson to his game because his feet is so quick. <laughs> I think he has very quick feet. Mm. He has the ability to beat guys, and we saw that. And I, I say all the time, you look at the gunner positional putt, it shows what a receiver has to do to be able to beat the press and get downfield. He beat the press every single time it was the first guy down the field. So I like him a lot. And then, you know, we touched on Farrah Cooper and Robert Woods and Tavon Austin. 
But if the Rams are to bring in another receiver, um, I think the one player, the, the, the one player that's pretty much locked in is he's going to get his targets is probably Tavon Austin. And then I think Robert Woods will be coming in after that. So after that, the, with the bread and wide open battle, even if another player is brought in, who do you really like to come out of the forefront of that? Like, there's so many different ways the Rams can go because all the players are so different. And you have your speed guy, and they don't really have that big guy, but he is a possession guy, and Robert Woods. So you you can go so many different routes. Like what 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 would really fill out the receivers or fill out the receiver position to really give them sort of a uh, a, a broader scope and wider range of of different types of receivers to put on the field if one if somebody was to come to the forefront. Yeah, I think you mentioned Robert Woods is kind of the guy that I would expect to lead the team in targets. I mean, even though. You know, obviously, like you mentioned, Tavon Austin is probably locked into his. He's going to get his his volume there, but you just really can't pump 130 plus targets to a player like Tavon Austin. Where I think you could for Robert Woods, it might not be like the best situation for your offense, but if he is the <laughs> best kind of outside receiver there, um, you know, with Kenny Britt last year absorbed a, a good amount of volume. He had a really great season. It's an, it's unfortunate that he's not back with the team. Um, I, I think that that. Woods could be a sneaky candidate to to push for you know 140 something targets. Which again, it's probably not the best situation for your offense, but I think he's the guy that comes out in the forefront there. And in terms of what else they they need to bring in, I think some vertical ability would be great. Um, you know, if there's there's Chad Hansen out of Cal, I know he and Jared Goff didn't necessarily play together because there were other players ahead of Chad Hansen, but he's a guy coming out of Cal. He has some vertical ability that you could look at. I think this, again. You know they have a lot of potential solid possession guys. Whether it's in uh, whether it's Farrell Cooper, who I think is more of a slot player. Um, they have Robert Woods, obviously, who mentions is a really good option as a possession receiver. Uh, Mike Mike Thomas, I think, if he develops, is probably best as a as a flanker or possession X receiver. And so, really, I think just right now they could really use a, a vertical playmaker, and Hanson could be that player. Um, there are several others, like I mentioned, Josh Malone could be that type of guy in the draft. So if they're looking to bring in more players, obviously, I don't think they're going to get a high-end stud. But they should look for somebody who can at least help stretch the field and open things up for these underneath options. Absolutely. Couple, couple last uh, football questions here, and then we'll let you get out of here with a uh, on a couple of dog questions. But the uh, – you know, we, we, we briefly so touched on that subject of the defensive line approach. Now, let's say the Rams do go that route and, and kind of surprise us all, but they they bring somebody in to compliment uh, Aaron Donald and give him some help, somebody that he can grow alongside, you know, mentor, bring them up. Is there a steal to be had? Maybe there are some things that could, some picks that could be made which could alter the trajectory of the draft. Because every every time these mocks play out, I sense that it's done by a lot of need. They're like, this is what these guys need. Oh, yeah. And it's all logical. And that's never how it works. It's a mess of emotion <laughs> and, and gut feeling. And, well, this guy's statistics and in in. It's it's a hodgepodge of all of that, and I just don't think you can replicate that ever. That's why these mocks are essentially, I mean, they're guesses. So, is there? But is there a guy that could somehow fall into a range where the Rams would say, "This guy's too damn good. We gotta grab him." 
Yeah, I'd have to be honest with you guys on that one. I'm not like the defensive line expert, so I'm not really sure who that player would be. But um, I, I think Fair enough. You're, absolute, you're absolutely right that that's an approach that if the value's there, they should take that route. We mentioned earlier about making the strength stronger. So it's definitely something to look at. But in terms of specific players, uh, I'm not I'm not I'm not the guy that's uh, that's uh, that's scouting these defensive linemen. So that's a it's a fair question. But I, I don't know. I appreciate the honesty. I'll, well, I'll flip it back onto this because this is I, we talked a little bit about it at the top of the hour. But Jared Goff, what point if you're Sean McVay? Because you know when you came in here, you had to buy into the the, the Goff project. It, it was an unwritten rule upon signing to become the head coach. But you were also given the freedom to run this football team. And though you will be expected to ride with Goff, there will come a point where Sean McVay could say, all right, you guys just spent too much, which is my opinion, Myson's opinion, and a couple of other people's opinion. Now, that's not to say Goff can't become a fine player. I just look at what the Rams gave up to get him, and I don't think that deal was worth it. I feel like they gave up too much that he maybe could have been had for a little bit less, or I don't know if 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 he showed me so much that I would have given up that much. If that's probably mm. the better way to approach it. So if if you're Sean McVay, how long do you sit back and work with golf? And at what point do you, well, at what point do you ta- throw in the towel? I mean, at what point? And he had worse stats than Cody Kessler, as I you mentioned on the show, who was concussed out of the season. So, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, Cody Kessler wasn't even expected to to to, to start there, and it, it and it ended up just happening. So, I mean, he. The bar for him could not be any lower. I mean, he doesn't have to do much to improve. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this earlier. Like, what what good can you take away from Jared Goff's rookie year? A couple of, like, nice throws in the first half against the Saints. Other than that, there's not a lot of positive to go on. I mean, statistically, if he didn't have the worst rookie season of all time, he had one of them. So there's not a lot of positives to go off with Goff. And really, I think that means that you've got to be worried, but you also have to give him this whole year. I mean, I don't think you can mess around with, like, I mean, not that they have any other great alternatives on the roster anyways, um, but I think they kind of have to, McVay and him have to work together this year, figure out if he's the guy, and then go into 2018 with a lot of clarity about where you are with the quarterback position. Um, I think the one thing, you know, that teams make too much of a mistake on is trying over and over and over again with a young quarterback like Blaine Gabbert, Jacksonville. Like you don't want to get into that situation where you're constantly making excuses or you're constantly trying to make it work with a quarterback who just clearly uh, can't play as an as NFL starter. So, you know, I think that's I think that's what the Rams have to do with golf. They have to give him this entire year. If it's still a disaster after this year, then you start making contingency plans because you know. Again, he's always going to be judged. This is the hard part of it. When you give up a ton to get a player, he's always going to be judged based on that price tag that they paid. Um, and he at least has to show some sort of competence this year for them to reinvest uh, in 2018. And if he doesn't, then I think you 
the that'll be a good sign for McVay and that staff if they can have the courage of their convictions to essentially just cut bait and and move on. Uh, but but they definitely have to give him this year to see for sure what he could be. That's fair. That's I, that's fair of an answer as I can expect out of anybody. Mason, you got any last football questions for Matt? I do. I do have one, and I think it's uh it's that one that this time of year you got to ask everyone about. So far, um, you know, the, the bulk of free agency has passed. At this point, you're just kind of filling in loose ends and. Uh, with what with what's left, um, what what type of grade would you give the Rams thus far in free agency? Yeah, I mean, I think you'd give them a positive one uh, because they went out and especially that Whitworth signing, I think, is is so crucial for them to get a veteran who can essentially go in there and and fill a need right away and again, like hopefully let them move Greg Robinson around and and potentially upgrade two two positions on the offensive line that'll be just honestly if that signing works out that's enough to give you a passing a more than passing grade in free agency on its own i like the robert woods signing uh i think they overpaid for him but who cares it's not my money they need a receiver <laughs> they need Mason a receiver said the same badly. thing <laughs> right same yeah thing. it's not my money i don't care if they overpaid and, and honestly the cap is going up every year um, it, 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 look, it'll never be the worst receiver contract on the roster as long as Tavon's there too. So yeah. um, I think that's one way to look at it. Woods is, I think is, like I said, he's going to fill a possession receiver role. I think that he will work well, um, as kind of the Pierre Garçon for, for, uh, Sean McVay there. So I like that deal. Um, and Brendan Connor I think fills in a nice little spot for them too. So, you know, they didn't go out and get a slam dunk in free agency or anything, but I think they made smart deals and that makes you feel even better because, you know, I think the, the, w- the worst thing they could do, and you hear this all the time, like the Rams have to make a big splash because they're out in LA. Like you don't want to run your football team that way. You want to make smart signings that, that fill needs with, for a good value. And I think the Rams did do that. So overall, I like what they've done in free agency so far. Yeah, and they nearly landed Groy out of Buffalo, which to me would have solved the center problem and would have boosted the yep. grade of the, of the class. It, for me, up to about a B plus. You know, I mean, maybe maybe an A minus, depending on how you value that contract with Robert Woods. Obviously, as you said, in relation to Tavon and Austin, but. Uh, Man, uh, I I appreciate so much that you spent all this time talking football with us. A couple a uh, couple dog questions before you go. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it impossible for you to select your breed of dog because everybody would pick their own as as the number one breed. But what are like your, <laughs> your, your your top three favorite breeds of dog? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I mean, it's easy to always go with mixes too. Um, and I know you mentioned you have huskies, which Indeed. I have always thought I have always thought they are just beautiful dogs. Um, it, if I lived in a place that wasn't Los Angeles in, in an apartment, I would love to have like a, that kind of big husky that you know you can walk a ton, uh, take on trips with you. But I think those are great dogs. I've always liked beagles. Um, you know, I mentioned that my dog is is part beagle here too. Um, 
he certainly does not. He looks a little bit more, I would say, prissy than a than a than a beagle. But he's got some of that attitude in him, which I've always I've always found those to be really endearing dogs. So that's kind of that's kind of one that I really like. My my step grandfather had a, a bunch of uh, step beagles, or he had a bunch of beagles when we were growing up. So those are always nice dogs. And oh man, um, I got to tell you, here's 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 one that, that this is not. You don't want like a purebred poodle, but mixing any oh. breed with a poodle is great because they don't shed. That's a great. That's always a great quality to have. It's true. That is true, man. My uh, actually, my 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 very first ex ever had a pure breed miniature poodle, and well, I have huskies, and they blow their coats twice a year, like you mentioned. And one of them is actually part Malamute. The Alaskan husky has pretty much adapted. Like, and surprisingly, he's not that big of a dog. The the, the girl is at, actually weighs more. She comes in at forty five pounds. But Loki, who's the bigger framed dog, is still only 37 pounds. He, he's, he's pretty compact. The thing with Huskies is that they're high energy and you can't give them even a moment's respite to escape. Like, if you take your eye off of them, they're gone. And if you think you've run after a dog before, a Husky will take that and just crap on it. <laughs> I my my dogs have gotten out twice and I don't think I have ever done that much exercise. I I have never ran that hard, but I chased them down, managed to get them both. Thank the Lord. Uh, but uh, yeah, man, they they can move, man. They can they can run miles, and they don't even they don't even think about it. So, Mason, what about you? What are your top three dogs? You know, I don't have any dogs. Although over the last, <laughs> hell no, <laughs> I like dogs. I just don't have any <laughs> hate cats. <laughs> but over the last year, I, it's actually I have been thinking about getting dogs just because I need something around the house to keep me company because I get bored sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> it's nice. Uh, exactly, you know. But if I was to get a dog, I always say I would want um, either a dog that's really smart, like the dogs that are. Always, uh, always being harped on for their intelligence, like a golden retriever or something like that, or just a big, big, huge dog, <laughs> like a husky, mm. for example, like what you have, or a boxer, Great Dane, or even one of those wolves. <laughs> I wouldn't mind An to have Irish a wolf, wolfhound. Yeah, like you know, so yeah, I would definitely be interested in something like that. I, I don't think I can get into the little dogs. I think I'm too big for a little dog. <laughs> I think that, uh, I think that the being a little dog, we wouldn't get along because you know the little dog syndrome. They like to bark a lot. I'm too chill. We would bump heads. <laughs> so. I, I gotta tell you, man. I gotta tell you, I was I was always that way. That was my thought process. Like I was I was always gonna be a um, I was always gonna be a big dog guy. You know, get get a dog and go hiking with, go running with, whatever. But you know, by circumstance, I ended up with this little small dog, and uh, it it'll change you. It's a it's a treat. So uh, I I don't regret it for a second, but. Uh, but I hear you. It's it's all about preference. I, I'm with I'm with Matt on this one. You know, I I I actually didn't even like dogs until I I moved in with who's now my wife. She had the dogs, and then uh, one of the huskies I found, and it was a stray, and I I still the photo pops up every year on his birthday, uh, of when I decided like okay I. 
we're we're pulling we're pulling the posters like they've been up long enough i'm keeping this dog he's won me over uh but uh you can't let a husky off a leash for crap that's the crappy part about like if you want to go hiking or something is like you have to have you have to have one hand on the dog and one hand on the hiking stick and sometimes those mm. things do not go in the corresponding direction you would like them to they have differing opinions of which way you should be going and and depending on your grip you lose sometimes so yeah like that that's the only sad thing about a husky is you can never let them off leash they're just not to be trusted but they're great family dogs that they'll lick you to death. It's it's kind of awesome. So, all right, final question for you, Matt. What is your favorite memory? Everybody has, like, one or two favorite memories of, of something that they got to do with their dog. What's one of your favorite memories of maybe a trip or something that, that you, you did with your dog? Oh, man. There's so many to choose from. I mean, we drove across country together uh, last off season, which was pretty, uh, pretty awesome. Um, I have to say, yeah, on that trip at one point I was in Arizona and, um, you know, hiked up to the, hiked up to one of the peaks of Bell Rock and uh, with my dog hiking is essentially, especially climbing up those rocks is me pushing him up one ledge at a time and then me climbing up after him. Um, it's it's quite a process uh, to observe. Uh, so I think that was probably my favorite one uh, because just once we got to kind of a, a cliff there, looking down on the world together, I'm like, man, me and this dog, it's us against the world. Uh, you know, he's he's been with me, he's been with me through a lot, including moving across the country from Virginia to LA to take the job with NFL Network. So uh, yeah, that was a good like reminder of, yep, this 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 dog is uh, this dog is here no matter what, and I I appreciate that about him. They are our best friends, and that is what makes them so great. So one of the things I like to do at the end of every show is I like to give our guests an opportunity to talk about things that they've either done recently that are really proud of and like would like to point people's attention to a recent article or a recent video shot uh, or an upcoming article or piece that's that's coming out. And also, if you have any causes that uh, that you support, we, you know, always like to give a floor to, to if you don't, it's no problem. If you do, we've had people have children's charity, all sorts of things. So I find it's always a good a good Matt. Matt always talks about how ten percent of his proceeds go to uh, go go. What is it? Light to darkness, I believe, or darkness to light. light yep. Dark, darkness to light. So yeah, we always we always give him that platform to talk about that. So if you something similar, go for it. Yeah, I think I'm just I'm working on uh, you know the reception perception stuff right now. People, listeners can find those at receptionperception.com. Um, if you want to listen, my new podcast that I've just launched is, um, is, it's called, uh, the fantasy hipsters podcast. It's based off the, the hit that my, my buddy and I, Matt Franciscovich did on NFL network this year. So we're having a lot of fun doing that. You can find that at, at fantasyhipsters.com. actually and subscribe on iTunes and all the other places. Uh, please leave us a rating and review. <laughs> um, and, uh, also I'm doing, I'm doing my backyard, the backyard banter podcast. 
Uh, you can find that on thebackyardbanter.com. And that's really something that I'm passionate about doing because it's all about helping people kind of find their way in sports media. You know, up-and-coming writers, definitely if you, if you want kind of a, a path to get in the industry, that's, that's a way to go. Um, and also we talk about life issues too. We had a, we had a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a, a writer friend of mine who uh, is a recovering alcoholic. We had another guy who, who's, who's battled with depression. And so we get to do a lot of stuff like that. So I love, love doing that show. Our most recent interview is with Jordan Rodriguez of the Charlotte Observer. She's just an absolute badass of a woman and uh, is really killing it in the, in a male's business. Uh, she's doing a great job and good, good interview there. I think that's something that, if you're at all just kind of looking for some guidance in life, I think we try to hit that on that show. That's awesome. I actually grew up in the uh, foster care uh, residential treatment center. I was We were talking about this in, in our little Slack community beforehand. I grew up like uh, like four members of my family have committed suicide. That's how deep the, the depression runs. Uh, and when I was covering USC right after, you know, the whole Sark thing came out, I actually wrote a, a long form article about my own battles with, with addiction and recovery and, and just my general thoughts on where he was at versus the things that he was saying. So that's actually pretty cool. I, I, I that actually sounds like something I'd like to be involved in. I still consider myself a young and up and coming writer, man. So yeah, no, I, yeah I have those same conversations. I used to have a podcast that I did, the the Hurry Up No Huddle, and I did that same thing, man. Like I talked to Jamel Hill about everything from race to it was it was a fascinating two hour conversation that her and I had. It was really deep. Same thing with Rob Latall of Black Sports Online. I love having those types of like deep sociological, psych, social psychological discussions. I think that's awesome. Oh yeah, Any, anytime you can kind of intersect, you know, our sports media world with with society is really something I'm interested in. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can. I completely agree. I definitely love to get in touch with you about how I could get involved with something like that. That that's that sounds like a very worthy and worthwhile project. Matt, I'm I'm the uh, same way. I. Sorry, guys, but I have a couple ideas for uh, a few similar shows, and I'd love to talk to you about it as well. Sounds awesome. Yeah. No, that would be great. So, uh, also, we almost forgot, man. Tell the tell the folks who undoubtedly you're going to gain new uh, followers after this smashing interview. I consider it a success. <laughs> uh Tell the folks where they can find you on Twitter. We wouldn't want that to uh, to escape this podcast. Yeah, you can find me at Matt Harmon underscore BYB, and you'll find me tweeting about football and also Brussels sprouts and whatever else is on my mind for the day. Oh, <laughs> good luck. Oh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this one last thing before I let you go. I thought it was – I didn't actually believe that this was a question. Like, I thought that this was just somebody – asking me something stupid uh brandon bait said ask him if he likes his brussels sprouts boiled sauteed or roasted i didn't think that was a real question that's that's such a big question is it (laughs) that is that is something that i have been uh i have been talking about a lot lately and my affinity for brussels sprouts and the i swear to god i get somebody tweets me a picture of their 
they're Brussels sprouts every day. It's fantastic. I don't know how I managed to cultivate this as part of my brand, but uh, the best way to do it, uh, boiling is absolutely off the table. Never, never boil them. That's, that's where people go wrong. You got to saute them for a good bit, brown them up in, in like olive oil and garlic and a little bit of onions in there. Really, you can throw any seasoning you want. And then the key is after a while, you take a you take a pan cover and cover them so that they soften up just a little bit, but not too much if they're so slimy. So that's your best way to prepare Brussels sprouts. And again, if you ever have any Brussels sprouts questions, tweet at me and we'll talk. See, that's what the BYB stands for. It stands for bring your Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I've never thought about that. There you go. There you go. That's what you can tell people it stands for. Well, Matt, man, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. We thank you so very much for spending some time with us. We'd definitely love to have you back on closer to the uh, season starting after the draft, after fall camp, after we see what shakes out. We'd love to have you back on and get your general thoughts with about the Rams if you're down. Yeah, my pleasure. You guys know how to find me. Thanks again so much for uh, for having me. This was a fun talk. Ah, thanks, man. We we uh we, we feel the same way. This is one of our better podcasts. It makes up for the lost episode with uh, Ben Albright that that got lost last week. So this ah. this makes up for it. So you've talked Ben Albright. You can hold that over <laughs> his head. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Yep. All right, guys. Have a good night. You, you too. too. Thanks. Matt Harmon of the NFL Network, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Mycin, so you got some bragging rights here because you pretty much nailed the Woods contract right on the head. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that it's bragging rights. I don't. I think there's a lot of people that feels that way. Um, yeah, but you said it. I mean, it's 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 just a contract that doesn't make sense. <laughs> You know, it it really doesn't. Um, I agree, it's not the worst contract on the roster, but at the same time, I also would say Tavon Austin has been more productive in his four years than Robert Woods. So while they're both overpaid, and I understand how one got paid more than the other, considering he's been far more productive than Woods. Woods just, I just don't like the money. <laughs> I don't like the money. Uh, the player's okay. I don't think he's a he's going to change the franchise or, you know, uh, I know I, I saw someone call him the next Isaac Bruce in a serious tone, and I, <laughs> I don't see that at all. <laughs> you know, uh, at best, I think he's a Brandon Gibson. Brandon Gibson was solid, but he was not a number one. He was more of a number three being forced in there. Robert Woods might be ceiling might be uh, uh, an average at best number two, but I don't I don't see anything past that. So and I think that's kind of where Mark, uh, where Matt was going when he said that um, he he's uh, throwing him the ball 140 times is a real possibility, but it's probably not the best case scenario for a team because he's not 140 time uh, 440 target receiver. So. The money isn't great. The player's okay. That's not never a good. That's never a good matchup. Well, well, well. There's so much to talk about. So, so much. Um, but I think we've talked about a lot, man. I think we've got yeah. a uh, we've got a substantive podcast. 
there's I, I I didn't ask him about Mike Williams just because the Mike Williams question uh it was asked whether or not the Rams would trade up uh for for Mike Williams who's projected to go in the first round I just yeah. don't think the Rams have anything to trade up I disagree I I definitely think uh, as I mentioned you know and um. I mentioned this last week when you and I had talked, or the week before when you and I had talked, that I definitely think that you cannot count the Rams out for a trade-up. We are talking about left seed here. Yeah, <laughs> you but know. they already have no picks. And anything you do well, is going to involve multiple picks and the promise of future high picks. So they've already gutted their future. So now they're going to gut the present and gut the future even more to get a guy that may or may not work out? Not necessarily. You see, the Rams, they do have Tremaine Johnson. That's that's, that's tradable. Okay, you can definitely trade Tremaine Johnson. No team is going to take on – you can trade him, but not at his current contract. I'm sorry. No, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He he'd have to agree to uh, a long term so, deal prior and, to, and but, that and that makes it hard. So I wouldn't list him as tradable. I would I wouldn't say him. it makes him. I wouldn't say it makes it hard because I think, I think there's a hard. lot of teams out there. I think there's a lot of teams out there that's more than willing to give him a long term contract. But of course, you're going to have to convince him that he's not worth, you know, eighteen million. <laughs> You know, which is possible, which is 100% possible. If you're trading him, now here's where it gets interesting in my eyes because I don't think that the Rams are going to, if they're trading into the first, I don't think they're trading into the top half of the draft. I think they're trading into the bottom half, you know, something in between 19 and 28. Sure, you know, sure. if they're trading up, it's going to be in There's that range. There's no way they're yeah. moving into like the top 15 or 20. Which, which, which is where the plot thickens if you think a little deeper into the box. Um, that would mean that that, play, that team is a playoff team. I think he'd be more willing to restructure if he's going to a team that's winning and has a chance to be put contenders in the playoffs than if you were talking about trading him to the Browns. He's probably not quite as willing to restructure to be put in that situation as he would be to restructure okay, and be put in a situation so, where he's playing with the Patriots or something, you know? So you trade your cornerback, and the Patriots are going to get the better end of the deal on this. Let's let's be let's be clear about that. The minute you've done a trade with the Patriots, you should not feel like you got the better end of the deal. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's a fact well, of life. Well, the it's Patriots like, was just an example for a good team, but they don't even have a first round pick right now. You right. know, so yeah, so, so that so they obviously wouldn't trade with them. But you know, right. let's say the Packers or something like that, they could make a trade with them. Um, I see. I just don't would see it happening. I, I I don't think I don't I I, I think I'm just right saying now, I'm just saying Johnson you can't put it past position. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say it's impossible. I just think it's harder than you're making it out to be. He's on a really loaded contract. He would have to agree to a restructure and an extension. So you would have to get a partner that he would be willing to go to. Like he may not, yeah. even if it's a playoff contender, he may not want to live in flipping Green Bay. Like he's <laughs> like, I don't want to live there, dude. Like it's just not on my agenda. You know? No, no, like, no. I agree. Every so, you you would need to you would need the right things to align. And of right. course, I'm using him as one example. You know, there's they can still they if you're talking about trading up from 
pick we five. You know, if you're talking about no, 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 now, no, no. <laughs> if you're talking about trading from pick five in the second round, thirty-seven overall, you know, you're talking about moving up ten spots to twenty-seven overall or something like that. Because you, I do think. What are you going to give I, up though? That's what I'm going to say. Like, it's not going to take a lot of future picks. You know, you're not going to. You don't necessarily have to give up. Uh, a first round pick to get that. Now, would you possibly have to give up a future second? Maybe, may, you know, maybe not because you're not going too so deep. Up. You're not going too far up. One. Yeah, like it's that is definitely possible, but it all depends on the player too. Um, is it possible that a, like I personally am of the mindset that either Mike Williams or Corey Davis or uh, Corey Davis could slip a little bit. Corey Davis being because there's a legit possibility that he's not able to work out pre-draft. Um, I personally, I think everyone knows if you saw my big board, I personally think he's the, the best player in the draft just from skill, physical skill, and then pro readiness just overall. He's he's up there, you know. But I think that, but I, of course, you know, in scouting circles, they take so much more into uh, consideration with uh, where you play the level of competition. When with me, I look at it, I say, okay, the, when he played against Tennessee and some of the Michigan and some of these top schools, he really kicked their butts. Like, <laughs> like he, 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 his play didn't fall off because the competition went up. Sure. You know, if anything, it went up with it. You know, so I'm not really afraid of the competition level, but not, but not having, comp- uh, not having the, the consistently high level of competition, and then not being able to work out. Um, there's rumblings that. You know, he was probably a top 20, top 15, top 20 pick. You know, now he could be slipping a little bit towards the back end of the first round. So I think he's one possibility that could be there, you know, when you get to pick 25, somewhere around there. And if he's there, then that's something the Rams could consider if they feel he's worth it. And Mike Williams as well, because of the um, lack of speed. Now, I know that there were some reports coming out of his pro day saying he ran a 4.49, but then there was reports of him saying that he run a four six i think this is why people were so um so hesitant to go by pro day times you know um because they're all over the place you know and they're usually yeah. jaded to be a little bit better for the players the players uh for the players corner for the benefit um so i don't know i think when you look at him on tape he appears to be more of that four six guy than he is of that four four nine guy um that lack of uh just speed and able to create that separation because he never really created separation he won jump balls (laughs) you know that's what he does that's his specialty he's going to get contested catches but that's going to be a lot harder on this level against some of the better dbs of making making those catches on those contested balls so i can understand why both players could possibly slip i think john ross is probably you know secured his spot in the top 20 but those two could possibly slip out of the top 20 and go somewhere in the last 12 picks of the first round and which would give the Rams the opportunity to move up and take one if they feel one is worth it sure. alright <clears throat> I just I don't feel like it's a smart move I, I, I mean I see where you're coming from and wide receivers definitely of a high priority. It's actually, you know, a lot of people feel like it's the highest priority. Mm-hmm. I, the only thing I don't like is that you're already giving up picks that have been given away in the sense yeah. of, all right, you already gave away next year's first round pick. Now you want to give away the second round pick. It's just, it makes it that much harder for McVay to 
get talent and keep talent because he can promise him that he's bringing talent when he doesn't even have picks to to work to work with. You know, there's no oh, way no, for him no, to no. fill out the I roster. agree with you 100%. I, I just, <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I'm just saying, you know, the question is, is it possible? I'm saying, yeah, it's definitely possible for the Rams to move up. Um, I'm not putting it past less lead, especially if the right player is there. I don't think that it would cost as much as people expect when you hear trade into the first round. I think people so often hear that, and they're thinking of what it costs to trade up to the top 10, top 15 picks. But when you're talking about moving up 10, 10 spots, you know, that's that's not nearly as expensive as people think it is. Um, and if you can trade Tremaine Johnson, um, you're talking about trading Tremaine Johnson. Well, in if your you're trading pick, Tremaine right? Johnson, then not only do you want their first round pick, you also want some back end compensation. Well, yeah, if you're trading Tremaine Johnson plus your second round pick, you're probably going to get about a fourth and fifth mixed in there as well. Maybe even a third and fifth, you know, which I don't think would be too much to ask considering that you're, they're only moving down 10 spots and they're getting a number one, well, borderline number one corner <laughs> you know so I, I definitely don't think that would be too much to ask i definitely think there's teams that's out there that would be willing to do it but again he would have to be willing to restructure so it's not completely out of the realm of possibility i think it's possible the rams could trade up they could trade down too this is the rams we're talking about they don't sit still on draft day you know so i don't expect them to sit still too much on draft day you know and another player and i know i've mentioned this to you before another player that's not a receiver that I would be 100% okay with is TJ Watt. You know, they're going to need to get edge rushers in there for this new system. And uh, he fits perfectly. I think a TJ Watt, uh, a Takaris McKinley, those guys, me preferably, I would prefer TJ Watt. I like his Having that better. pick right there inside, the, inside the, the top five pick inside day two, that's valuable. A team Yes. Because yes. because by then the chips are already fallen. So you know you're going to know somewhat have some notion of what the teams ahead of you what their highest needs are. You you know the first Absolutely. round the Absolutely. first round die will have been cast. You know what their highest need is. Now you kind of go by okay what what are their second highest what's their second highest need? What what you know is this uh, general manager or owner likely to use BPA? You know, you know, a whole yeah. whole bunch of other yeah. things come into play. So having that pick where I could see where a team that maybe has is sitting two picks behind sees a guy there that they don't think will be there in 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 three picks or so. So they move up, they cop up their second round, and also give up their fourth. You know. Some, it is absolutely possible. I think that I think people are um, forgetting what draft we're talking. You know, uh, I think sometimes, you know, when we're talking about moving around in the draft and things like that, everyone looks at it and they make these blanket judgments on what it takes to move around. Each draft is different. And mm-hmm. this draft in particular, um, it's it's a gold mine for the Rams pick. The Rams are in prime position because the first round is flooded. This is a very talented first round, one of the most talented ones I've ever seen because there's so many players at the uh, the cornerback position, so many safeties. I can't remember the last time there was this many 
top tier safeties coming out, um, like legit game changing safeties. You know, um, and then you look at the defensive line, which is ridiculously stacked. You look at the receiver position, running back. This draft is so flooded in the first round. There's going to be a lot, lot of players that tip over into the second round. That's going to be available right there in the, the top seven to ten, top seven to ten picks in the second round, where teams are going to be fighting to get them. So the Rams trading down a few spots in the second round and picking up a few extra picks in the middle rounds, the third and fourth round, which is valuable grounds considering uh, the depth of these positions where, like I said multiple times, you're going to be able to get a starting defensive end, a starting corner, a starting defensive tackle, a starting middle linebacker, a starting outside linebacker, and a starting safety. All are going to be available in the fourth round. (laughs) There's going to be legit starters available in the, in the top half of the fourth round. So if you can trade down and still get one of those guys that falls over into the second round, you can trade down four or five picks, get one of those guys in the second round, and then pick up another fourth round pick. You're in pretty good standing. So the Rams are sitting on a gold mine. They can go either way. That's certainly a fair point, and we have no idea what they're going to do, so we're not going to pretend like we do. Um, what we will do is we will say that you can find us on Twitter at Turf Show Times. You can find me on Twitter at Fight on Twist. Our producer Scott is on Twitter at Sports Speaks. You can find uh, Mycin on Twitter at Mighty or Mycin. Uh, and uh, you can be sure to follow the show, obviously, at or uh, the uh, the site at Turf Show Times. Basically, anything that has Turf Show Times on it, you'd better be subscribed, you know, click, leave us a review, tell your friends, say, hey, they got this cool podcast where these guys actually talk to people who know their shit. <laughs> let, let, let them know, man. It's, it's what we're here for. It's what we're here for. So... Um, we will be back next week. I know not who the guest is, though there are a boatload of potential guests that we've been mulling around. Each week is like a lottery. We never know which great person we're going to talk to. So, uh, you know, if you have questions, tweet us. Tweet me. Send them to me. Say, hey, I've got a question for the podcast. I'll save it. I'll like it. I'll file it away. And then when the podcast rolls around, I'll read it on air. Um, you know, if you if you... If you think about it during the week and want to get it sent off, you can send it to Mycin too. If you follow him, be send it to Mycin. He he can he can ask a question just as well as I can. We both have mouths; they work. I promise. And we're here to ask stuff for you. I promise. So uh, don't don't be afraid to send in questions because for whatever reason we have people that'll comment on everything, but you ask them to ask a question and. All of a sudden, they're like, uh... The pressure's on there. Yeah, we're calling, we're calling you out. Send in some questions. So, either that or we'll start giving out Game of Thrones spoilers. That loses some listeners <laughs> real quick. Uh, all right, guys. We will catch you next time here on Turf Show Radio. The Turf Show Times is... Uh, I would like to thank uh, Blog Talk Radio real quick uh, for sponsoring the show and giving us the space to do it. 
and we are SB Nation's home for the Los Angeles Rams, Turf Show Time. This has been another episode of Turf Show Radio, and we will catch you next week. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play, brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories, like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0, or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.